Well, it's a prayer-focused uh, evening, so therefore what we've been doing is working our way uh, through the Lord's Prayer, or the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray, which is found in Matthew uh, chapter 6. So if you need a Bible, uh, please uh, let it be known and one will appear. Matthew 6, from verse 5, page 970, if you're using a church Bible. strikes me as we sing uh, that song, The Father's Love, and it was written by somebody that uh, was abused by his own earthly father who uh, ended up going to jail for that, and then he can write such a song, The Father's Love. Uh, Amazing what God and the work he can do in someone's life, uh, despite sometimes what the world uh, throws at them. Gives us comfort that whatever we talk about tonight, and the subject is forgiveness or unforgiveness, um, I'm aware that it's sensitive Uh, but we can do uh, all things in Christ who strengthens me and uh, we need to recognise that we're Jesus people, followers of Christ and we need to take this word seriously uh, because it's what differentiates us from the world the person on the street is not a forgiving person Uh, Christians are and uh, that's power, that's not weakness, that's power so let me read from uh, Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 all the way down uh, to verse 15 words of Jesus and when you, pray, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I'll tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So these are challenging uh, words, especially in the society uh, that we live in. And uh, what it requires of the Christian is a conversion of the heart, to be able to take these words seriously and apply them. And I'm aware there will be difficulties in this, and I face my own difficulties, but nevertheless, they're words of Jesus. We have to take them uh, very seriously. Forgive us as we have forgiven others. Yet sometimes um, we can hold on to unforgiveness, and we can let it, you know, the root goes in. And then it grows and grows. I've done this. Uh, There's some twisted, uh, not godly pleasure sometimes of holding on to a grudge. Uh, And what it does, it keeps you up at night. And, and And it gets worse. And the problem becomes bigger than it is most of the time. And then thank God that he, because of his spirit, you, you, you suddenly come to the realization what you have to do. And you forgive and you're released. You're released. It doesn't mean to say something goes unpunished. It just means that you are forgiven in your heart. And it's really important, it's, in, and it's interesting, isn't it, that in this, forgive us as we, uh, uh, as we are forgiven others. And then Jesus underlines it in verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin, sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. What do we do with that? Are we trying to earn forgiveness? Or is it that as, because we can forgive others, it's a sign that we've been forgiven? If I really understand 
And if you really understand the very enormity of what's been forgiven for us, the very cost for Christ, it gets to a point where we say, how can I not forgive? So there's a lady I know, uh, spoke to her quite a few years ago now, and um, she uh, miscarried. And uh, the midwife that was with her when she did this apparently wasn't that good and was very insensitive. And uh, she said to me, if I saw her walking down the street, I would approach her and I would tackle her and her face contorted with anger. When asked how long ago that was, it's 40 years earlier. And she'd been carrying that all that time. I saw her face change. I'd have a right go, couldn't let it go. There's a story of um, a preacher uh, asking his congregation, I'm not going to make you do this, uh, but said, you know, if you've got anyone to forgive, will you forgive them tonight? Put your hands up. And the whole congregation put their hands up, apart from this elderly lady sitting right at the back. We'll call her Mrs. Smith, just for ease. (laughs) It's not Andrea, I said elderly lady. I'm just making sure I don't say, oh, it's June at the back, so I've got... I honestly didn't mean that. Is there a Jones in the house? Right, okay, Mrs. Jones. So the preacher said, Mrs. Jones, you're the only person who hasn't put your hand up. Have you truly got no one to forgive? She said, I have no one to forgive. He said, has no one ever, ever wronged you? She said, many people have, but I have no one to forgive. He said, why not? She said, I'm 93 and I've outlived them all. (laughs) It's the character of a Christian that sets us apart. It sets us apart from the world. And when the church, the people of God, fail to be set apart, it weakens our witness to the world, doesn't it? I've seen time and time again on where people first come to know Christ and they have an experience of Christ on Alpha courses or Way Ups or whatever we did. And you've seen how most of them have an issue of unforgiveness And as they release and let it go, they're set free. For some, that's a longer process. For others, it's a great release. And they're made new. And their lives come into line. And they know it comes into line with God's best for them. But also, contrary to that, I've seen and also still aware of church life where one person might have a grievance against another. Or they might have a grievance against the church. Or maybe a decision that was taken they weren't happy with. And sometimes they have good ground to but other times they don't really. But in both cases, they hold on to it and it affects their walk with God and it affects other people. And Jesus' word in this passage challenges the Christian pilgrim, doesn't it, to think again about unforgiveness in their life because these are, these are tough words. These are tough words. We look at the Lord's Prayer. When you look at it, out of all the things Jesus prayed for, he wants his name, the Father's name, honoured. He wants the kingdom on earth that is in heaven. The one thing he underlined, he singled out, was forgiveness with a warning attached. So it must be important. So that's what we're going to take uh, a look at. I mean, for some, I have to say, I'm not one of these people. Uh, Some people seem to uh, get hold of the word of God and they look at passages like this and they're quite challenging, and they can just let it go. Uh, And I'm not one of them. For me, it's a decision. It's hard. It's not something that always comes naturally. It's an act of the will. I have to decide whether I'm a Jesus follower or I'm making my own God, which is me. 
and I'm not God. And we know that as Christians. So if God is God, this is his word. So why is it so hard for us? Well, we still have our sinful nature. Paul talks about it, rages at war within us. So we know when someone hurts us, we kind of, there's a, you know, the anger rises up in us and we, we feel this need for justice, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Um, we spoke about that a few weeks ago in the morning. Um, we need to, we need, someone has to pay. It's also spiritual. The enemy would rather we didn't forgive. And you can see uh, how the world is with its, uh, with the people's character, people who are not Christians, sometimes people who are Christians. Look at the mess of the world, trouble, strife, you know, relationships ending, uh, wars being fought, sometimes wars that are triggered by something that happened hundreds of years ago. Everyone thought it was over, and yet emotions run high, and all of a sudden we see it all over again. So it is hard, and it's fair to acknowledge this teaching is hard. I'm not sure it's meant to be easy. Maybe it's meant to be hard so that we recognise what it costs for us to be forgiven. That we recognise it costs God everything. That whatever I need to forgive, God has forgiven me more. I mean, his son died for me. So how far do I want to push this to say he doesn't understand how I feel? And it's effects of unforgiveness. Why would Jesus, why is he so passionate about us forgiving people? Why are we supposed to be a forgiving people? Why are we supposed to be as Christians? Are we supposed to be doormats? I don't think we are. I don't think just because you forgive someone, you're a doormat. There's still consequences to their actions. Relationships will be bruised or maybe even gone. But we can forgive in our heart. But there's effects. There's effects of unforgiveness. If If we've got unforgiveness in our hearts, it can be a sign that we feel unforgiven, that we've not understood the enormity of what God has done for us. We have the parable, don't we, uh, elsewhere, of the unforgiving uh, servant in Matthew 18. Uh, it gives us warnings of maybe how God might treat us if we really got what we deserved. It says, then the master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant, I've cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. This person owed him money. And he begged him to be let off. And he said, okay, I've let you off. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Because when this other person came and asked him, to be let off. He said, no, 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 even though he'd been, he'd been let off his debt. And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, that penetrates, doesn't it? I mean, that is really serious teaching. And when I, when I make a personal choice, which I have done in the past, not to forgive, then those, these words now penetrate deep. And I have to forgive. And it's an act of will. It affects our prayers. Mark 11, 24 to 26. Therefore I tell you, whenever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. It seems to suggest that if we hold on to unforgiveness, it even affects our prayer life. We've got this angst in us, there's this blockage. We're holding on to something. So it hurts ourselves and it hurts the body, the church. It causes division in families, in church, in relationships. It leads to hatred, discord, fits of rage, dissensions, which according to Galatians chapter 5 are acts of the sinful nature. You can see the difference between the Christian, the one who's walking truly with God, and the one who's not. You can see that if we really live this out, what, a, what a, an, a, an effect that part of our character would have to the man or woman on the street. They'd be astounded. 
Why should we forgive? Well, we've got the example of Jesus. Uh, No more so than when he's on the cross. Father, forgive them as he prays for his killers. I mean, he's been in agony. You know, his, his own people wanted him on the cross, the Jews. And the Romans obliged. And as they now, I mean, the agony went through the, the, the crown of thorns, the whips. You know, his, the, the, his back would have been bare. It would have been laid open. Many people didn't survive that, let alone be forced to carry their cross. As the nails are driven into him, and the cross is lifted up, it was dropped. It wasn't just put there nicely. They dropped it. Can you imagine the searing pain? And then because they're left there to die slowly, eventually they suffocate, you see, because they'll be on, uh, the, the weight will be on their legs. Uh, but eventually the leg, legs give way, and then it's on the arms. And then they start to not be able to breathe. Then they go back on the legs. And that's why they used to break their bones. Because if they broke their legs, they would die quickly, because they would suffocate. He went through all of that and he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Can I truly say I've gone through that that I can't forgive somebody else? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So we've got the example of Jesus. We've got the example of the apostles. I've picked uh, just one. The stoning of Stephen found in uh, Acts 7. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep a follower of Christ, mimicking the life of Christ. Also, we don't want to hold on to unforgiveness in a deliberate fashion because it grieves God. Ephesians 4, 29 uh, to chapter 5, verse 2. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, notice you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Where there's disunity in church with unforgiveness or families, whatever it is, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm sure you don't as well. And and I'm not sure we intentionally do that, but sometimes we can hold on to things that grieves him. So why else? Well, there's obedience, Luke 17, 3 to 4. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, says, forgive him 70 times uh, uh, seven. I mean, it's ongoing. Romans 12:17 to 21 words of Paul do not repay anyone evil for evil be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody if it is possible as far as it depends on you so we can't change other people only God can do that but as far as it depends on me live at peace with everyone do not take revenge my friends but leave room for God's wrath for it is written it's mine to avenge I will repay says the Lord on the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink 
In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then, of course, it's our witness to the world, to be a forgiving people. You see testimonies in the newspaper of Christians that have really, really supernatural acts of forgiveness. We're called to be different. It can be a witness. Colossians 3, verse 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're God's chosen people. You were predestined to be a Christian, the Bible says. God chose you. I mean, you may have accepted that call, but it's really not much to do with us. He chose us, and we've now, we're now following him. We were predestined. He's called us. And the, and the people, the man on the street and the woman on the street, will look at us and watch how we act. And the way we act will affect uh, our witness for Christ. And we've been working this past year on our character, haven't we? And we've been talking about what it is to be effective. Well, we need to take these words seriously. We need to be a forgiving people. And, and the good news is, it's not all bad news. There's benefits in uh, forgiveness as well. Examples of repentance bringing healing, of bringing a blessing. The opposite of we grieving the Holy Spirit may be in a church service if there's factions and wars, not really aware of any, um, but if there's unforgiveness in your heart and it's affecting your worship, which might affect uh, the body, the opposite of that is blessing. Blessing. Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. The Lord bestows a blessing when we dwell in unity. When we're in unity, it's good and it pleases God. When we're not, there can be a hindrance. It brings freedom. If we don't forgive, it's often, that, uh, it's often the person who doesn't forgive that feels trapped and imprisoned uh, really, really, you know, uh, really indwelling that unforgiveness in their hearts. It can make them ill. It's been said, uh, I couldn't find who said the quote, but it's not me, I've plagiarised it. But it was to forgive is to set the captive free, only to find that you were the captive all along. So many times, um, you know, we get hurt. People say things. Half the time, in my experience, they don't really mean it. Half the time, they're not even aware they've offended you. And you can hold on to it for weeks. Or you read an email the wrong way. And there's other times when you know definitely they were out to hurt you. Or something's been said. Or whatever the situation is. You've been treated badly. It could be at work. It could be in your marriage. It could be in the church. But if we hold on to this unforgiveness, it, it's not good. It affects everybody and it affects you. Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant earlier. He ended up in jail. It's like Jesus saying, you're imprisoned by your own feelings. Most of the time, the people that may have wronged you won't even be aware of it, and you're the one up at three o'clock in the morning, and they're sleeping soundly. It brings closure. Another benefit, it brings closure. You might not forget it, and it might still be painful, but you've, you've let it go. You've forgiven, and you've handed the situation over to God. It's life-giving. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Life and forgiveness in the same verse there. 
It can bring healing spiritually and physically. I, I've, we, we've done alphas and we've seen people in these examples I told you about where they've been healed physically as they've let unforgiveness go. They've prayed it through and we've seen them healed in front of our eyes. I remember a lady who couldn't raise her arm up to, uh, to, to, to about this and she had this on the whole um, alpha course. And at the end, to be fair, it was a, a half-hearted commitment um, and actually she didn't carry on walking with the Lord, amazingly, when I tell you this story. Uh, but I said, you know, if you've got unforgiveness, it can be a barrier, just let it go and let's pray about that. And, and she had quite a story. Her friend was murdered um, by a gypsy family. And uh, she used to see this man who'd done it walking around. And she said, I can't forgive him, I hate him, I want him dead. I said, you've, you've got to let that go. It doesn't mean to say he doesn't get punished or anything, but you've got to let it go. And we prayed with her, and as we prayed with her afterwards, she, she had full mobility in her arm. It had gone. So I just want to sum it up. It's hard, this passage. It is hard. We've got a sinful nature that we're battling with. We've got an in inbred desire for the need for justice and there'll be a spiritual attack on us and the enemy loves it when, when there's uh, trouble and strife among, among God's people. And the effects mean that we'll struggle to receive forgiveness ourselves. It'll affect your prayer life. It causes division, whether it's in our family or relationships or church. It can lead to hatred or discord or fits of rage. Things get built up out of all proportion. But when we look at the example of Christ and of the apostles, we look at their obedience, when we realise it grieves the Holy Spirit, when we realise it affects our witness, it's good to forgive. It's good to be different. It's good to be the people of God. It brings healing. It's good for us. It brings healing, or can do, in some relationships. We're told in the Bible that when we dwell together in unity, the Lord bestows a blessing. We all want to be blessed. It's given back in the same measure. It brings freedom. It sets you free. It brings closure. It can be life-giving. Possibly it can lead to physical healing. When we pray for people uh, where we want physical healing, we often ask them if there's unforgiveness in their heart. And I think, it seems to me when I look around, that unforgiveness is a major threat in the world generally. We cannot allow it to be insidious in the church. We've been called to be different. It's a great strategy that the enemy can use to weaken us in our unity and bring disunity. You don't have to look far to see disunity in the church. Let's not let it be here. Unity. The Bible tells us it hinders our relationship with God. None of us want that. It can be really insidious. So I want to read again Colossians 3, 12 to 14. I think this was the passage I used uh, when I first came here. We talked about our character. Therefore... As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other. We often don't bear with each other in church. People, we get upset really easy. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's so important for us as a church. It doesn't mean that it didn't hurt or that there's no consequences. Maybe trust is lost, maybe permanently. But you've forgiven. Maybe the relationship is hurt, but you've forgiven. Maybe someone needs to be punished, but you've forgiven. It's the forgiveness of the heart, and it's often it starts with a choice. It certainly does with me. I said, well, this is your word, and I will forgive. I choose to forgive. But then God takes that, that faith, and seals it on your heart. And this is what we need. 
It's this heart conversion. I said this morning at Sunnymead, we can go into the world and we are called to be prophetic, and I understand that, but they don't believe what we believe. They're not Christians. And we can run all the groups we want, and that's great, but they're not Christians and they're not saved. So when I say, God says you must forgive, they say, great, we don't believe in your God. So we need conversions, we need people to become Christians. And then it's God that will change their hearts. And it's a conversion of the heart. And we need to make sure, though, that the people within the building, the church, we do have a conversion of the heart. Because if we go and act like the same as the world, then our witness is undermined. It's a heart conversion. And it is difficult. I've got an illustration here um, from an incident that actually happened. It's real. Um, from a trial, courtroom trial, quite a number of years ago now in South Africa. And this is where you know you need the grace of God. So a frail black woman rises slowly to her feet. She's in a courtroom. Um, she's something over 70 years of age. And facing across the room are several white security police officers, one of whom, Mr Vanderbrook, has just been tried and found implicated of the murders of both the woman's son and her husband some years before. He had come to the woman's home, taken her son and shot him at point-blank range and then set the young man's body on fire while he and his officers parted nearby. Several years later, Vanderbrook and his cohorts had returned to take away her husband as well. For many months, she heard nothing of his whereabouts. Then almost two years after her husband's disappearance, Vanderbrook came back to fetch the woman herself. How vividly she remembers that evening going to a place beside a river where she was shown her husband, bound and beaten, but still strong in spirit, lying on a pile of wood. The last words she heard from his lips as the officers poured gasoline over his body and set him alight were, Father, forgive them. Now the woman stands in the courtroom and listens to the confessions offered by Mr Vanderbrook. A member of the South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission turns to her and asks... So what do you want? How should justice be done to this man who has so brutally destroyed your family? I want three things, begins the old woman, calmly but confidently. I want first to be taken to the place where my husband's body was burned so that I can gather up the dust and give his remains a decent burial. She pauses and then continued, My husband and son were my only family. I want secondly, therefore, for Mr Vanderbrook to become my son. I would like for him to come twice a month to the ghetto and spend a day with me so that I can pour out on him whatever love I still have remaining in me. And finally, she says, I want a third thing. And this is also the wish of my husband. And so I would kindly ask someone to come to my side and lead me across the courtroom so I can take Mr Vanderbrook in my arms, embrace him and let him know that he is truly forgiven. As the court assistants came to lead the elderly woman across the room, Mr Vanderbrook, overwhelmed by what he has just heard, faints. As he does, those in the courtroom, family, friends, neighbours, all victims of decades of oppression and injustice, begin to sing, softly but assuredly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I mean, could I do that? Not without the help and power of the Holy Spirit which surely must have been given at that time. But when we really do understand that I'm forgiven, you're forgiven, the Lord has forgiven us because of the cross, the work done on the cross. He's forgiven my sin and we're blessed. We're blessed in that. We're free to go and live a life for God. How blessed am I? So I must forgive. 
I must forgive. And it might be that you're sitting here tonight without a sense of God's forgiveness in your own life. It might be that you recognise unforgiveness in your heart. It's just not good for you. God's word is clear and it's tough. You can see the implications of it. It can affect your whole being. It can affect the life of the church. It can affect your relationships. And it's a fantastic strategy of the enemy. Now, I realise that in some cases uh, there might be ongoing abuse or things like that going on and it would be very flippant of me to say, well, you just need to forgive. Practical steps might need to be taken and a blasé approach uh, would be wrong. Sometimes you might need professional advice. But apart from that, let's bring ourselves into line once again, living our lives the Jesus way as we bring our lives in line with his teaching here. Remember the disciples sat around him. The world looked on. And as we bring our lives into line with his teaching, we recognise it's difficult. And as we live out this Jesus way, the world looks on at us as well. So I'd ask you tonight, it might be nobody, um, but who do you need to forgive? Maybe that's something you need to deal with with God. If you want prayer for it, we can offer that as well. But forgive. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let me pray. Lord, the Sermon on the Mount's called, been called so many times the greatest teaching that ever was. It's also the toughest. And Lord, we hear these words. Um, Lord, I'm aware of my own uh, struggles in that area. People offend us or our family and we want, we want justice, but yet you don't give us the justice we deserve. It doesn't mean to say there's no consequences, but you ask us to forgive them. Uh, Lord, so often that needs to be a work of your Holy Spirit because our sinful nature is at battle. And we need you to fill us with your spirit. And I pray for anybody here that's struggling with this issue, that takes offence very easily maybe, that your spirit would minister to them. They'll be able to release those things and release that unforgiveness and offer it to you and put it at the foot of your cross where you dealt with our sin. And you said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity Uh, that we can have to be a light in society and show a different way of living. In Jesus' name, amen.